and mic. Good to go. Awesome. All righty. Let me get my uh, computer set up here. Just a minute. Well, Shabbat Shalom. I'm glad everybody made it out tonight. It was kind of interesting. I was here yesterday uh, doing some work on the grounds, and um, it was beautiful. At one point, I had a sweatshirt on, and then I ended up taking it off because I was hot and sweaty. And um, then this morning, I woke up, and there was snow everywhere. <laughs> kind of threw me off. But hey, you know, Baruch Hashem. Yeah. I do have a PowerPoint, mics. Sorry, that's my bad. I probably should have said that to you. <laughs> All right, well, while that warms up, then um, why don't we go before Adonai in prayer. Uh, our Father, our King, we thank you for this time this Shabbat, that we can gather together in your name and just hear from your word and hear from each other to encourage each other. Uh, we ask that you would work on our hearts and you'd help us to be more like Messiah Yeshua every day and that we might live lives that do bring honor and glory to you and to your kingdom. Meshem Yeshua, in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray. Amen. Is that my bad? Oh, look, there we go. So this week, uh, we are going to bring begin a survey. Um, Mike so graciously let me uh, come up before you today. And then next week, uh, he'll actually be out of town, so I'll be up here again. So this week, we're going to start in the book of Shoftim, or the book of Judges. So something a little bit different, we're going to do a survey through it. Um, as you can see, uh, Shoftim is the Hebrew for Judges. So why don't you go ahead and turn with me to the book of Judges. So your Bibles are going to go Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, and Judges. Thank you. You know, it's the one slide I didn't put the page on, and I just realized that. So thank you, whoever shouted that out. <laughs> Pages 270. I always love being up here and hearing the sound of turning Bible pages. It's just, it's, it's very cool. I love it. So before we jump into the book of Judges, we do need to do a little bit of background. So we need to take a look at the big picture of where we are. We're so used to being in the, the uh, Torah that sometimes we can kind of lose sight that there's actually more books of the Bible that come afterwards. And so I want to give us a broader overview of where we're at opposed to where we normally are. So in the bigger picture of things, so the children of Israel come out of Egypt under Moshe as their leader. They're going to wander through the wilderness for 40 years. We all know that. After that 40 years of wandering, they're going to enter the, into the land of Israel. And who could tell me who's going to be their leader? Joshua. Very good. Yeah, it's kind of like Shabbat school. You know, I just kind of wait for the answer to come at me. 
Yes, yeah, so Joshua is going to be their new leader as they enter the land. They're going to go through, and the book of Joshua is actually, when you read it, it's a fairly quick read because there's a lot of action involved. And that whole book is going to take over a span of about six to seven years. But the time frame of Joshua ruling over them is going to be more than that. Okay, so after the time of Joshua passing away, we're going to enter into what's called the time of the judges. Um, the time of the judges is going to last depending upon which historian you talk to, it's going to vary. It can be anywhere from 300 to 400 years. Uh, according to Jewish texts, it's about 277 years. Uh, this is where um, quite often when you look at time frames between the Gregorian calendar and the Jewish calendar, this is where it gets weird. So up until this point, they're tracking head on head. Then there's this awkward time here. And the reason that is is because we have multiple judges who are going to be ruling over Israel. But some of them do, in fact, actually overlap in time. But we're not told who's judging overlapping at the same time. So there can be some discrepancies there in the time frame. So this week... Uh, we're going to actually go through the first three chapters of Joshua. It's going to be kind of fun. It'll be a little intense. It might be a little... Actually, yeah, I'm just going to warn you. We're going to go a little long today. Just so you know, we're going to go a little bit long. But uh, so we're going to jump for, gonna jump backwards, actually, into the book of Joshua first before we jump into Judges because we need a little bit of background history of what is taking place here. So Yehoshua, or Joshua chapter th- 23... Verses 1 through 13 is where we're going to be at. That's actually found on page 267, and it says this. A long time afterwards, when Adonai had given Israel rest from all their surrounding enemies, and Yehoshua was old, with age taking its toll, Yehoshua summoned all Israel. Um, This is an interesting concept. So we have two people who are leading the charge now. We have two people who survived the wilderness wanderings. We have Yehoshua, and then we have Kalev, son of Nun. Now, Yehoshua, it's interesting, it's going to tell us that he's old and age has taken its toll. But later on, we're going to hear about Kalev, and he's just like a 20-year-old still. And as I thought and I dwelled on this, I think it's interesting in life that there are some of us, as we age, we age more gracefully. And some of us, just we don't, just don't. We get more pains, we, we go downhill as we get older, we lose our sight maybe, our joints hurt a little more. But what's awesome is that you look at the Word of God and Adonai says, it doesn't matter how you feel when you die, but where is your heart? That's the thing that he's looking for. So Joshua, the leader, is going to be very old, he's very weak, he's frail, and his counterpart, Caleb, is going to be very vibrant. He's going to go and he's going to actually defeat three giants in his lifetime as well. So Yehoshua summoned all Israel, their leaders, heads, judges, and officials, and said to them, I'm old. Age is taking its toll. You have seen everything that Adonai your God has done to all these nations because of you. For it is Adonai your God who has fought on your behalf. Here, I have allotted you the land for inheritance according to your tribes between the Yarden and the Great Sea to the west. It includes the land of the nations I have destroyed and the nations which remain. Adonai your God will thrust them out ahead of you and drive them out of your sight so that you will possess their land as Adonai your God told you. Therefore, be very firm about keeping and doing everything written in the book of the Torah of Moshe and not turning aside from it, either to the right or to the left. Then you won't become like those nations remaining among you. Don't even mention the name of their gods, let alone have people swear by them. Serve them or worship them. 
but cling to Adonai your God, as you have done to this day. This is why Adonai has driven out great, strong nations ahead of you. And it explains why no one has prevailed against you to this day, why one man of you has chased a thousand. It is because Adonai your God has fought on your behalf, as he said to you, therefore, take great care to love Adonai your God. Otherwise, if you retreat and cling to the remnant of these other nations remaining among you, if you make marriages with them and have children with them and they with you, know for certain that Adonai your God will stop driving out these nations from your sight. Instead, they will become a snare and a trap for you, whipping your sides and pricking your eyes until you, until you perish from this good land which Adonai your God has given you. So as we jump into the book of Judges with a little introduction, there are a few things that we really do need to understand as we go forward. It's going to help us out in the long run. Number one, God has a plan for all of us. Amen? Amen. Good. Yes, he has a plan for every single one of us, no matter what age we are, uh, no matter what our health condition is, uh, even no matter what our belief status is, whether someone is following Adonai or not, he has a plan for everyone. When we look at Ephesians chapter 1, it says, Praised be Adonai, Father of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah, who in the Messiah has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heaven. In the Messiah, he chose us in love before the creation of the universe to be holy and without defect in his presence, determining in advance that through Yeshua the Messiah, we would be his sons. I love that Sue brought up that verse. From, was it 1 Peter or is it 2 Peter? First Peter. And it hits just on that same thing that Adonai has called us all to be a part of his kingdom and he has a plan for us. Second thing we need to remember, God will meet us as we step into his plan. You know, so often we think I have to have all my ducks in a row and then God will show up. We're going to find as we go through the book of Judges, it's actually quite the opposite. Adonai calls someone and says, hey, I've got a plan for you. And they say, okay, God, I don't quite understand, but I'm going to take a step and Adonai says, okay, I'm going to take 99 more steps, and I'm going to meet you where you're at. But I need you to take that first step, and then I will meet you. So we see this with multiple men from, from the Bible. Noah. Noah, I want you to build an ark because I'm going to cause it to rain. Okay, I'm not sure what rain is, but okay, I'll start building a boat. He takes a step. Adonai meets him. Moshe, I'm going to use you to deliver a nation. Okay, God, I'm going to go kill a man. Mm, Moshe, not quite what I was thinking but I'm going to meet you. I'm going to help you. David kills a giant. And Zacchaeus, I love Zacchaeus from the Chadashah, from the New Covenant. Zacchaeus, what does he do? He climbs a fig tree to see the Messiah. And Messiah not only says, hey, Zacchaeus, I see you and you see me, but guess what? I'm going to your house. I've got a special blessing for you today. So Zacchaeus took that first step. He climbed that tree and Adonai met him the rest of the way where he was at. Number three to remember, Blessings will come as we follow God's plan. So, Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 29 says, For we, we know that God causes everything to work for the good of those who what? Love God, right? And are called in accordance with his purpose. Because those whom he knew in advance, he also determined in advance, would be conformed to the pattern of his Son. So we know that Adonai does work out all things for those who love God. love God. That's very important. That verse is quoted so much, but
but it's only half the verse because the other half is all things will work out for our benefit if we love God. We have to love God. We have to take that step in his area. So a constant theme that we're going to see throughout the book of Judges is then the people of Israel did what was evil in Adonai's perspective. In other translations, it says, and the people did what was right in their own eyes. I mean, how often is it that we, as humans, we think that our perspective is equal and maybe sometimes even better than God's? I mean, it happens all the time. I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, we do this on a daily basis. We make those choices that we know we shouldn't do, or we make that choice that isn't the best. There's a better choice. So God's perspective is not equal to man's. Actually, I should say that, reverse that. Man's perspective is not equal to God's. So what, when we do what's right in our own eyes, it is sin toward God. You know, so often when it comes to sin, we think of this idea that sin is those ugly things, you know, adultery, fornication, uh, just went blank. <laughs> Murder, thank you. You know, all these things, drunkenness, all these things, those are sins. But, you know, just not listening to God, that's not a sin, right? It means to be contrary to what God's perspective is. That's sin. So turn to me, Devarim. The book of Devarim, page 207. We're going to be in chapter 8, verse 11 through 20. And in, in Devarim, this is going to be where Moshe is going to encourage the people to follow Adonai and not go to the right or to the left. So we see a pattern here. Moshe said, follow Adonai. Don't turn to the right or the left. And Moshe should know because he stood before Adonai. And Adonai said, hey, Moshe, I want you to speak to this rock. And Moshe said, no, my perspective is better. I'm going to hit this rock. And Adonai says, well, I'm still going to honor you because you're still moving forward in my plan. However, now you don't get to go into the land. So we see God's perspective, even though we may not understand it at the time, is going to be better. So Deuteronomy, be careful not to forget Adonai, your God, by not obeying his mitzvot, rulings, and regulations that I'm giving you today. Otherwise, after you've eaten and are satisfied, built fine houses and lived in them, and increased your herds, flocks, silver, gold, and everything else you own, you will become proud-hearted, forgetting Adonai, your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, where you lived as slaves. You will think in yourself, my own power and the strength of my own hand have gotten me this wealth. No, you are to remember Adonai, your God, because it is he who is giving you the power to get wealth in order to confirm his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors, as is happening even today. If you forget Adonai, your God, follow other gods and serve and worship them, I am warning you in advance today that you will certainly perish. You will perish just like the nations that Adonai is causing to perish ahead of you, because you will not have heeded the voice of Adonai. So Moshe says it. Uh, Yehoshua echoes it, and in the book of Judges, they are going to do it. No, they're going to blow it. Unfortunately, they're going to blow it. It'd be nice if they did it. Well, I guess I should say they will do it for a time period. We'll see a cycle. There's going to be a cycle that's going to show up here. So when they go into the land of Israel underneath Yehoshua, they're going to conquer a certain amount of land. This is the land here. By the time they're done conquering the land, at the, at the end of the book of uh, Judges, they're actually going to expand their territory quite a bit, but you notice they lost a bit of territory too. They're going to be pushed out of the areas where they choose to dwell alongside the people of the land instead of kick them out. It's actually not going to be until under 
uh, King David and then more King Shlomo, King Solomon, where they will actually take the entire land. Of course, after that, there's a whole other issue. The kingdom becomes divided and things just go kind of south from there. So Book of Judges. We're going to jump into the chapter 1. Now, the way that it's set up, chapter 1 is actually going to be the, the prologue or the backstory. And then chapter 2 is actually going to be the summary of the entire book of Judges. It's not going to be until we get into chapter 3 where we actually start to learn about these different judges and what's about to take place. So I think it's really cool the way that this book is written. They believe, for the most part, that uh, uh, Shemuel, Samuel, the prophet, is the one who penned and wrote down the book of Judges uh, during the time of David. So chapter 1 of, of Shoftim of Judges. So after the death of Yehoshua, the people of Israel asked Adonai, who will go up for us first to fight against the Kenai? Adonai said, Yehuda will go up here. Here, I have handed the land over to him. Yehuda said to his brother Shimon, come up with me into the assigned territory so that we can fight against the Kenani, and I likewise will go with you into your territory. So we see the way that the, the land has been divided up. We have Yehuda, Judah, and Simeon, or Shimon, but yeah, Simeon, excuse me, uh, going up together. Now remember, Simeon's territory is right in the middle of Judah's territory, according to their allotment. And who remembers why? And remember the city that happened, something happened? Yes, the, the whole Dina situation, right? So they went in, him and Levi went, and they murdered a whole city of men, basically. So from that point on, Adonai says, okay, Simeon, you can't be trusted. You're a man of blood, so I'm going to have you always be surrounded by your brother Judah. Judah's going to help purify you. So these two are going to go together first in their conquest after Yehoshua has passed away. So Shibon went with him. Yehuda went up, and Adonai gave the Kenani and the Perizzi into their hands. And those in Bezek were killed, 10,000 men. They fought Adonai Bezek in Bezek, and they fought against him. They killed the Kenani and the Perizzi, but Adonai Bezek fled. They pursued him, caught him, and cut off his thumbs and big toes. It's pretty gruesome. This book is kind of fun, I'm not going to lie. It's kind of a PG-13 book. But, um, <laughs> so they're going to cut off his thumbs, and they're going to cut off his big toes. And the, and the reasons for this is that if you don't have a thumb, you can't really grip a sword properly. If you don't have a toe, there ain't no way you're running away either. So they're completely, they're not disarming him, but they're de-thumbing him. <laughs> de-thumbing him. <laughs> so, and here's the interesting thing. So Adonai Bezek says this, 70 kings with their thumbs and their big toes, I cut off. They gathered food under my table. God has paid me back in accordance with what I did. They brought him to Jerusalem, and he died there. It's interesting that even in the midst of, a, of someone being a non-believer, they are understanding that Adonai, our God, will not be mocked. He is a God who pays forward. He is a God who returns favors. You know, it's that, that understanding of sowing and reaping, what we sow today, whether it's good or bad, it will bear fruit. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, maybe not for 50 years, but it will come back to us. So then the people of Yehuda fought against Jerusalem, captured it, overpowered it with the sword, and built a magnificent temple. Nope. And they set the city on fire. 
So at this point, they're going to conquer Jerusalem. They're going to burn it to the ground. But that's it. They're going to leave it be, and they're not even going to inhabit it right now. In fact, they're not even going to come and be able to inhabit it, this area until under King David. And it's under King David that he's going to say, hey, this is where the house of God needs to be built. You know, there's things and times and plans that need to take place. So the children of Israel could have gone in and been like, this is the mountain of God. We should build the temple. And Adonai says, that's not my plan. It's not time yet. You need to go by what I need you to do. And right now, I just need you to burn it all to the ground. The hill. I got so excited about that, I forgot where I was at. Afterwards, the people did Fire, there we go. Afterwards, the people of Yehuda went down to fight against, against the Kenani who lived in the hill country in the Negev and in the Shephelah. Yehuda also attacked the Kenani living in Hebron, formerly called Kiryat Arba. And they overpowered Shishai, Achman, and Talmi. From there, they attacked the inhabitants of Devir. And Devir was formerly called Kiryat Sefer. And Kalev said, to whoever overpowers Kiryat Sefer and captures it, I will give my daughter Aksa as his wife. Oh, not bad. I mean, I guess she's good looking. I guess that's a good, that's a good uh, reward there. So Othniel, this is our first judge, by the way, but we're not in the time of the judges yet. Okay. So Othniel, the son of Kanaz, Caleb's younger brother, captured it. So he gave him Aksa, his daughter, as his wife. After becoming his wife, she persuaded him to ask her father to give them a field. When she got off her donkey, Kalev asked her, what do you want? And she said to him, give me a blessing. Since you gave me land in the Negev, also give me sources of water. So Kalev gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. I love the little things that we find throughout the Bible as we go through. So they inherit land. He, she's given land, as, or Othniel is given land as a reward for conquering the city. But it's a dry, barren, desert land. And so the wife goes and she says, hey, can you give me some water? And Kalev says, ooh, you're a wise woman. Yeah. You know, and there's so much to be spoken of there. Um, I love the women in the Bible, how the Bible portrays women. So this woman knew when you're in a dry land, you need water. You know, and it's so true for us today as well. We often go through those dry lands, those desert places, the, th the times where it seems like no growth is taking place. There is nothing positive in my life. What do I need? I need water. And what's water in Scripture? We see the Spirit of God. So those times, and I, and I believe that, uh, that Kalev looked on and said, yeah, you're a wise woman. I'm going to give you some water. You know what you're talking about here. So Kalev gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. Next, the descendants of the Kenani, Moshe's father-in-law, went up out of the city of date palms with the people of Yehuda and into the Yehuda desert south of Arad. And they came and settled with the people. So these people that are coming out of the city of date palm, it's really interesting. When we look at, um, they're, they're known as the Kenites. They're actually descendants of Jethro. So we find out, you know, Jethro being the father-in-law of Moshe, his descendants never really dwelt with the people of Israel. However, the people of Israel honored them so much and honored what Jethro had done for Israel that whenever they came into the land and they came into areas where they were going to attack that these people lived, they gave them forewarning and said, we're coming, get out of Dodge. If you don't get out of Dodge, you're going to get in trouble. 
And so it's interesting that Rabbi David Kimi, or Radak, as he's referred to as, uh, points that out, and he says the Kenites, like Jethro, did not live among the Jewish people. However, Israel never forgot their gratitude to Jethro for his loyalty to them and to Moses. And whenever Jethro's descendants were in danger and being caught in the crossfire of battle, the Jews evacuated them for their safety. Here, too, the Kenites had settled in the city of date palms near Hebron, and when the battle for Hebron took place, they left the city and settled among the tribe of Judah, which welcomed them as friends and allies. So it's not until they come into the land that they actually start to dwell amongst the people. And this is going to be a nice reflection. So these guys, they move out of the way, let Israel do what they need to do, and then they dwell amongst the people. We're about to learn about a man who is going to move out of the way, but he's going to choose to not dwell with the people as well. So Yehuda went with Shimeon, his brother. They overpowered the Kedani, who inhabited Safat, and completely destroyed it. The name of the city was called Hormah. Yehuda also took Azza with its territory, Ashkelon with its territory, and Ekron with its territory. Familiar names? Yeah, those are Philistine cities. Those are going to come up a lot in the book of Judges. Adonai was with Yehuda, and they took possession of the hill country because they could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley since they had iron chariots. They gave Hebron to Kalev, as Moshe had said to do, and he drove out from there the three sons of Annex. These are giants. So old man Kalev uh, picks up a sword and drives them out. It's pretty impressive. So the people of Binyamin did not drive out the Yavusi who inhabited Yerushalayim. Rather, the Yavusi continued living with the people of Binyamin in Yerushalayim, as they do to this day. The house of Yosef likewise attacked Baal, and Adonai was with them. The house of Yosef sent spies to Baal. The city was formerly called Luz. The spies saw a man coming out of the city and said to him, Please show us the way to enter the city, and we will treat you kindly. So he showed them the way into the city, and they overpowered the city with the sword. But they left the man and all his, let the man and all his family go free. He went into the land of the Hittim, built a city, and called it Luz which is its name to this day. So this is where we're going to get that, con that um, opposite to the descendants of Jethro, this man from Luz. So this man from Luz, he's told, hey, we want to know how to get into the city. If you tell us, we'll let you go. It, it, this is actually, it, it echoes and it reminds me so much of Rahab. So remember, Caleb and Yehoshua, Joshua, they go into uh, um, Jericho, and they say, hey, we want to spy it out. She hides them, and they say, okay, we're going to save you and your family. After that's all said and done, the walls of Jericho fall down. Rahab is saved, and she actually joins part of Israel, and she actually ends up in the lineage of Messiah as well. So this man from Luz, it's not going to happen with him, but he does leave the territory of Israel completely. So they say, hey, thank you for your help. You better get out of here. And so he does. He, in fact, he goes so far, he goes completely north. So now what we have over here, this map here, has the very top of Israel with Lebanon right beneath it, just north and, north and west, yeah, northwest of the Golan Heights today. There is a city called Wazani. This is this man's city. This man's city has still st stood today. So this man was obedient. He completely left the territory of Israel. He, re he established a new city, called it Luz. And because of that, he was blessed throughout history. 
His city has withstood the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the destruction of the temple, and even today still stands. So this man was really blessed. But you know, one thing that's missing is we're never told his name. Big deal. Big deal. So what this man did stood the test of time, but his name is erased from history now. What if he had joined Israel is my question. What if instead of saying, we're going to go and we're going to start a new city, he says, you know what? I want your God to be my God, and I want your people to be my people. I, I, I have a sneaky suspicion Adam and I would have said, and there was this man from Luz whose name was, and his name would be forever chronologized for us. But he chose not to, but he was still blessed. I still think that's kind of cool. So continuing on, verse 27. So Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Bethshan and its villages, Tanaak and its villages, Dor and its villages, Yekliam and its villages, or Megiddo and its villages, so that the Kenani managed to keep on living in the land. In time when Israel had grown strong, they did put the Kenani in the, into forced labor, but failed to drive them out completely. Ephraim did not drive out the Kenani living in Gezer, so the Kenani continued living in Gezer along with them. Zavulin did not drive out the inhabitants of Kitron or Nahol, so the Kenani continued to live among them but became subjected to forced labor. Asher did not drive out the inhabitants of Akko, Sidon, Aklav, Akhiv, Bahelba, Afik, or Rechol. So the Ashiri live among the Kenani who were living in the land because they didn't drive them out. Naphtali did not drive out the inhabitants of Beshemes or Beit Anat, but lived among the Kenani living in the land. However, the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh and Beit Anat became forced labor for them. The Emery forced the people of Dan into the hills, for they would not let them come down to the valley. The Emery had resolved to live in the Hares Hills, in, Av- in, in Ayalad, and in Shavalim. But when the power of the house of Yosef grew greater, they became subject to forced labor. So the territory of the Emery was from the Scorpion Ascent to the rock upward. So six tribes failed to conquer their land in the beginning here. Of those six, Four dwell amongst the people who live in the land. And that was the no-no that Adonai said. He said, hey, when you go into the land, drive them out. Do not dwell amongst them because you will be tempted to worship their gods. So Manasseh does not dwell amongst the the people of the land. And Dan does not dwell amongst the people of the land because he actually, we're going to find out, moves out of the territory completely. He goes to the north. Later on, then, we'll find out he's no longer in the land of Israel, and they've gone onto ships and gone other places. Poor Dan. He just gets the short end of the deal. So Asher, Zavulin, and Naphtali will put their people to subject. Ephraim and Asher will not, but will dwell amongst them. And Manasseh eventually will put all the people in, in the area into subjugation, but it will be an entire group effort under David. And then the territory of Dan, which is interesting, Yosef will take over. Now, Yosef is referring to both Ephraim and Manasseh together as one. And the reason that Ephraim and Manasseh will go take over the area of Dan is because they're unable to take care of their own area. So God said, I have a plan for you. Take over this area. And they say, we can't, but we can take care of their area. So... It's interesting that as we have a, God has a plan for each of us in our lives, we need to remember that God has a plan for other people too. Their plan is not my plan, and my plan is not their plan. Their plan might look easier, but that's because 
I need to go through what I need to go through so that Adonai can work in my life. So we need to be careful that we're not uh, trying to hone in on other people's plans. Let their plan be their plan, and Adonai work on us with our own plan. So chapter 2, what we're going to do, chapter 2 is kind of short. We're going to go through it. Remember now, this is the summary of the entire book of Shoftim here. Now the angel of Adonai came up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I brought you up out of the land of Egypt, led you to the land I swore to your fathers and said, I will never break my covenant with you. You, for your part, are not to make any covenant with the inhabitants of this land, but must tear down their altars. However, you have paid no attention to what I said. What is this you have done? This is why I also said I will not drive them out before you. They will be on your flanks and, your, and their gods will become a snare to you. When the angel of Adonai spoke these words to all the people of Israel, they began crying and wailing at the top of their voices. So they called the name of that place Bokim, crying and sacrifice there to Adonai. So throughout our lives, we often have uh, malachim, that's plural, people who come into our lives. Now, the, the Hebrew word malach, mem, lamed, aleph, uh, chet, simply means messenger, emissary, and it can actually be human or it can be angelic. And the way that we end up finding that out is we have to look at the context of what is going on in the scripture at the time. So in this specific context, we have the entire people of Israel hearing from this malach, from this messenger. So we know that this is a human messenger in this case. And it's interesting that in the Sedar Alam, it says that it's actually the Kohen Gadol at the time, Finchas. So it's kind of cool. The, the Kohen Gadol is doing what he's supposed to, and he's telling the people, hey, you're messed up. This is why things are going to go bad. So when Yehoshua had sent the people away, the people of Israel had gone each one to his own assigned property in order to take possession of the land. The people served Adonai throughout Yehoshua's life and throughout the lives of the older men who outlived Yehoshua and who had seen all the great work of Adonai which he had done for Israel. When Yehoshua, the son of Nun, the servant of Adonai, died, he was 110 years old, and they buried him near the boundary of his property in Timnat Haras, in the hills of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash. When that entire generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation arose that knew neither Adonai nor the work he had done for Israel. It's interesting, this kind of has reminiscence of um, when the Pharaoh had died and another Pharaoh arose who did not know Yosef. Have yeah, you seen how things are circular? Yeah. Then the people of Israel did what was evil from Adonai's perspective and served the Baalim. They abandoned Adonai, the god of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods, selected from the gods of the peoples around them and worshipped them. This made Adonai angry. They abandoned Adonai and served Baal and the Ashtarot. The anger of Adonai blazed against Israel and he handed them over to pillagers who plundered them and to their enemies around them so that they could no longer resist their enemies. Whenever they launched an attack, the power of Adonai was against them, so that the things turned out badly. Just as Adonai had said would happen and had sworn to them, they were in dire distress. But then Adonai raised up judges, who rescued them from the power of those who were plundering them. Yet they did not pay attention to their judges, but made whores of themselves to other gods and worshipped them. They quickly turned away from the path of, on which their ancestors had walked, the way of obeying Adonai's mitzvot. They failed to do this. 
When Adonai raised up judges for them, Adonai was with the judge and delivered them from the hands of their enemies throughout the lifetime of the judge. For Adonai was moved to pity by their groaning under those oppressing and crushing them. But after the judge died, they would relapse into worse behavior than that of their ancestors. Following other gods to serve and worship them, they abandoned none of their practices or stubborn ways. So we see that Adonai brings peace to the people. I brought you up out of the land of Egypt. I led you to the land I swore to your fathers and said, I will never break my covenant with you. He brings peace. We see apathy arises within the children of Israel towards the word of God and towards Adonai himself, which leads to sin, which then leads to Adonai bringing oppression upon them they're judged by a judge, they're delivered by said judge, and then it comes back to peace. So what we see throughout all this is that the anger of Adonai blazed against Israel. He said, because this nation violates my covenant, which I ordered their fathers to obey, and don't pay attention to what I say, in the future I will not expel ahead of them any of the nations that Yehoshua left when he died. This is how I will test Israel, to see whether or not they will keep the way of Adonai, living according to it as their ancestors did. So Adonai allowed those nations to remain there where they were without quickly driving them out. He did not hand them over to Yehoshua. Chapter 3. These are the nations which Adonai allowed to remain in order to put to test all the people of Israel who had not known of any wars with Canaan. This was only so that the generations of Israel who had previously known nothing of war might learn about it. These nations consisted of the five chiefs of the Philistine, all the Kenani, the Sodoni, the Hivi, who lived in the hills of the Levan between Mount Baal Hermon and the entrance of Hamat. They stayed there to test whether Israel would pay attention to the mitzvah of Adonai, which through Moshe he had ordered their ancestors to obey. So the people of Israel lived among the Kenani, the Hitti, the Emory, the Perizzi, the Hivi, and the Yavusi, taking their daughters as their wives. Whoa! Yeah, there's that red flag right there. <laughs> taking their daughters as their wives, giving their own daughters to their sons, and serving their gods. It's interesting how... Um, so the, the, one of the main issues is they're, they're worshiping, the, worshiping the Baalim and the Ashtarot. So Baal is a god of, um, of fertility, of plenty. Like you worship Baal if you want your fields to produce or you want your business to do well. Ashtarot is actually a sex god. Okay, so the two of them work together to, br to bring this massive amount of wealth to the, the people who are worshiping them. And we see that right here. We see you're taking your daughters as their wives and giving their own daughters and sons and serving their gods. They're looking to benefit themselves through union of marriage. And so this is a big issue that Adonai warned them about beforehand. So thus, the people of Israel did what was evil from Adonai's perspective, forgot Adonai their God and served the Baalim and the Asherim. Therefore, the anger of Adonai blazed against Israel, and he gave them over to the hands of Kushan Rishta'am, king of Aram Naharim. And the people of Israel served Kushan Rishta'am eight years. So this is actually kind of a good thing. Yeah, kind of a good thing. They're only going to serve him for eight years, and then they're going to realize they're wrong. This is going to be the shortest time. From here on out, it's going, to get, it's going to get worse and worse. So, but when the people of Israel cried out to Adonai, Adonai raised up a savior for the people of Israel, and he rescued them. This was Othniel, our first judge. 
the son of Caleb's younger brother, Kanaz. The spirit of Adonai came upon him, and he judged Israel. Then he went out to war, and Adonai gave Kushan Rishtaim, king of Aram, into his hands. His power prevailed against Kushan Rishtaim, so the land had rest for 40 years until Othniel, the son of Kanaz, dies. So our first judge comes onto the scene because Israel, they fell to sin, but it only took them eight years to realize we've messed up and we need to go back to Adonai. Adonai comes back and says, okay, you're doing good, and he raises up his first judge, Othniel. Othniel delivers him, and now they have peace for 40 years. So Shaphat, the Hebrew word Shaphat is to execute judgment, pronounce sentence against or to rule over. This is the word judge. So the judges do three primary things. Number one, they, they, they bring an acknowledgement of national sin. Number two, they bring a path for deliverance from said sin. And number three, they're supposed to show the example of how to live life. So this, this, this office of judge is someone who brings about and points the finger and says, hey, there's sin here we need to take care of as a nation and get back to God. And this is how we do it. And because of that, then I'm going to be your wartime leader, too, and deliver the, oppress, the oppressors, get them out of our land. And now I'm going to show you how to live your life in a proper way. So we need to, I shouldn't say we need to, the understanding of true repentance isn't just saying I'm sorry. And we're going to see that throughout the book of Judges. They're going to realize something was wrong, and they're going to say, I'm sorry, God, can you do what's best for me? But we need to understand that repentance is the acknowledging publicly with our mouth that Yeshua is Lord and trust in our heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be delivered. For with the heart one goes on trusting and thus continues toward righteousness, while with the mouth one keeps on making public acknowledgement and thus continues toward deliverance. Repentance is a never-ending thing. It is part of our life forever. The concept of I had this one sin that I've struggled with and it's gone away and I'm never tempted again by it is deception. We got to be careful because we are only human. We will still be we will still be tempted by that. That's why we got to stay on guard continually. But the people of Israel again did what was evil from Adonai's perspective. So Adonai strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel because they had done what was evil from Adonai's perspective. In confederation with the people of Ammon and Amalek, Eglon went out and defeated Israel, capturing the city of Date Palms. And the people of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. So now we've got over double the amount of time that the people are getting hard-hearted and not wanting to repent. But when the people of Israel cried out to Adonai, Adonai raised up for them a savior, Ehud, the son of Gera, from the tribe of Benjamin, a left-handed man. So all you lefties out there, he's your guy. So the people of Israel appointed him to take their tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Ehud made himself a double-edged sword, 18 inches long, and strapped it to his right thigh under his clothes. When he presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab, now, Eglon was a very fat man. When he had finished presenting the tribute, he dismissed the people who had brought it. But he himself, after reaching the quarries of Gilgal, at Gilgal, went back and said, King, I have a secret message for you. And the king commanded silence, and all his attendants withdrew. So this is very important that he's a left-handed man. So to be right-handed throughout history has been the, the best thing. 
So if, quite often, if people were left-handed, they were then trained to use their right hand instead of their left hand. And uh, our, second, our second judge here says, no, 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 I'm going to stay left-handed. So that means as he's going through checkpoints where they're checking for weapons, they're checking the, the left, left hip for that, in our, for that sword. In our time, it would be a gun, but for, for, for a sword, because you draw out with your right hand. Where he's like, no, I'm left-handed, so I'm going to check it, and I'm going to pocket it right here. And no one checks, because they're like, yeah, no one's, right, no one's left-handed, so we're not going to bother to check with it. So it says, God, I've got a special... Or excuse me, King, uh, I've got a special message for you. What's interesting here, too, is that we see, so he gets to the quarries at Gilgal. This is the exact spot that the children of Israel entered the land. So there are two things at this spot that he probably saw when he got to that area. First was the pile of stones when they walked through. Remember, each tribe had to take one big stone and they put a pile on it. Remember that that's where they crossed the Jordan. Second was those massive pillars with the commands of God written on them. Remember, they had to set up the massive monoliths, and then they whitewashed them, and then they put the Word of God on it, the Torah of God on it. So I can just imagine, he's like, you know, I'm called to be a judge, I guess. I don't know what to do. And then he walks by, and he's like, oh, Adonai brought us through the river. Adonai gave us his Torah. Yeah, I got a message for that dude. And then he goes back to the king. So Ehud came to him. He was sitting alone by himself in his upstairs room where it was cool. Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. As the king arose from his seat, Ehud reached out with his left hand, took the sword from his right thigh, and thrust it into the king's belly. The hilt of the sword went in after the blade, and the fat closed around the blade. For he did not draw out the sword out of the belly, so that it came out from behind. Then Ehud went out into, onto the porch, shut the doors of the upstairs room behind him, and locked them. That must have been a big dude. Uh, remember, that blade's 18 inches long. It's an 18-inch long blade that he thrusts through so hard that it comes out the back as well. And then he just shuts the door and then just kind of moseys on out. So after Ehud had left, the king's servants came, seeing that the door of the upper room were, rooms were locked. They said he must be relieving himself in the inner part of the cool room. They waited until they became embarrassed, but he still didn't open the doors of the upstairs room. So they took the key and opened them, and there before them lay their master, dead, on the ground. But while they were delaying, Ehud had escaped. He passed beyond the quarries and arrived safely in Seirah. Upon arrival in the hills of Ephraim, he began sounding the call on the shofar, and the people of Israel went down with him from the hill country. He himself took the lead. He said to them, follow me, because Adonai has given your enemy Moab into your hands. They went down after him, seized the fords of the yard and opposite Moab, and permitted no one to cross. On that occasion, they defeated Moab, some 10,000 men. Although experienced soldiers, not one of them escaped. Thus was Moab subdued that day under the power of Israel. Then the land had rest for 80 years. Not bad. All he had to do was stab a fat guy, and they were delivered. Very impressive. So that was judge number two. Judge number three, this is all we're given. After Ehud came Shamgar, the son of Anat, who killed 600 Philistine with an ox goad. He too rescued Israel. It's really interesting. The, the guys who have like one or two verses, those are the guys I really want to meet. Because for some reason, Adonai only gives them a verse, but Adonai says, hey, 
they were a judge. There's one, there's one guy that's going to have even less. It's just going to say, hey, and he judged Israel. But it says nothing else. So it's kind of interesting. Those are the guys I really want to meet and, and find out what, what actually happened. So in finishing up, there's going to be a constant theming that we're going to see throughout the book of Judges of peace, leads to apathy, leads to sin, leads to oppression, leads to judgment, leads to deliverance when they call out to God, which then again turns to peace, and then it starts all over again. It's true in our own lives, too. The same thing happens. We have peaceful times, we have mountaintop experiences, and then we have valleys. It's only when we're in the valley and we call out to God that we again get to go up and have a mountaintop experience again. God does have a plan for every single one of us. He'll meet us where we're at, and he will bless us as we follow his Torah and we go through with his plan and try not to make too much of a mess of it. Uh, Shabbat Shalom. Let's uh, end in a word of prayer, and then I'll, we'll have uh, Mr. David come up and close us out. Adonai, our Father, our King, we thank you for this time of Shabbat. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the reality, the truths that are in it, the, the things that just hit home. The, uh, the simple things. The scripture is full of mighty men of valor and mighty women of valor, but they're also normal human beings. They have their shortcomings, just like we do. We ask that you would continually help us to understand uh, what you would have for us in our lives, the plans that you would have for us. Help us to live in accordance with them and to follow your Torah and to just be a blessing and a light into the world. B'Shem Yeshua, in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we come before your throne. Amen.